Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. <laughs> Welcome back to a momentous episode of the Love Tennis Podcast because, incredibly, all in one room are three podcasting giants. We've squeezed all the egos through the door, we've got the agents out of the way and finally got together and sat down. Uh, Calvin Betton has made a lengthy trip from the north via Roehampton. Calvin, how are you? Uh, Very well. I'm from my prison cell today, this (laughs) afternoon. um, And, And also without smell or taste. Yeah, still haven't got that back. Uh, Which, given that I've cooked, is probably a good yeah. thing, quite frankly. Um, George, how are you? Pretty good. My my bad news recently is I've uh, managed to tear my meniscus. Oh, great! So. The man of mar- the man of glass returns. <laughs> but otherwise, good. Uh, how did you do that? Um, I actually did it a little while ago, but just got the diagnosis this week. So right. a lot of knee injuries. They kind of say just see how it is in a couple of weeks. If it's still bad. Gets on to look at it, and uh, yeah, it's still bad, and that's what's happened. Good. So that's Are you good. having surgery? No, fortunately not. It's not okay. like a massive tear, but off right. for multiple weeks. Oh, no. Sad I mean, times. The, the double scene of North London <laughs> takes another hit. Yeah. Uh, there's loads for us to get through today, so we won't plan about too much. Um, we've got our yearly awards to do. Um, there's also a bit of news that we're going to kind of run through just now um, with Danny Murray getting rid of Jamie Delgado, um, replacing him with, well, at least in the short term, Jan De Witt. Um, Emma Raducanu's up for Sports Personality of the Year and will surely walk it, but she does also have COVID, um, as we found out today. Uh, maybe start with, with Murray, because obviously you know, we've both known Jamie Delgado, all known Jamie Delgado for quite a long time. Andy Murray has had him permanently in his team since 2016. Um, he's been part of Team Murray, quote-unquote, for a lot longer than that. Um, Calvin, I know you said you were pretty surprised by that move. I mean... Jamie's, without knowing their personal relationship too much, Jamie's one of Andy's best friends, isn't he? Yeah, they've been very close for a long while. Um, I don't have any inside information on it. I didn't hear anything about it before it happened. Um, I don't know whose decision it was. It seems relatively mutual. Um, If anything, it seems like Jamie's maybe made the decision. And um, again, as we've discussed before, there's no sort of standard way how players come across coaching jobs and that kind of thing, who they want as the coach. So I don't know whether Shapovalov or his agent would have approached Jamie before they'd heard that was happening, or Jamie might have let it be known that he might be looking for a change of scenery or something like that. But There's no um, LinkedIn jobs for like no, 2010 players. There is something called Orange Coach that just nobody uses. And, uh, <laughs> we get we get a subscription to it as part of our licence, but I, I think I've maybe logged in once in about 10 years. Um, and just but, endless offers mounting up that you uh, never knew anything about. Well, probably about. so. Maybe, the, um, maybe that's where the Radicanu offer was. <laughs> 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 um, but, um, yeah, I, th- I, th- I mean, I think Jay, it's a really exciting job for Jamie. I think it's... Um, he, of course, I've, has gone to join Dennis Shapovalov's team, yeah, as he said. Yeah, um, and I've thought for some while that, you know, that there's a potential Grand Slam winner there. 
um, in, in Shapovalov. He really is one of the elite talents. And he, it, it's raw talent, though. We always use this word, raw talent. Nobody really knows what that means, do they? Same, <laughs> as, same as raw pace in football. He's got a backhand yeah, that looks yeah, different. Yeah, That's usually what yeah. it means. Um, but, um, yeah, it'd be, it'd be an interesting job for Jamie. And this is, you know, third third major job, really. He coached Giles Muller before Andy and... Um, um, I was going to say, Jamie Delgado, you know, I was writing the story last week and, you know, when you when you sit down and look at Jamie's career, it's a relatively unspectacular one. I don't think you mind me saying, as a player at least, you know, he, I don't think he got much into the top one or two, well, he didn't make your top 100, no, I think 120 in the world. You know, he wasn't a spectacular player by any stretch, was he, George? No. Um, and Served his country admir- he, admirably. He, yeah, I mean, he, he was a solid enough player to kind of understand the level. Um, but as as Calvin will tell you, being a great player doesn't necessarily make a great coach. Uh, I've um, heard differently about Calvin's, <laughs> about Calvin's hitting session today. Um, but I was also very surprised. I, to be honest, I assume Jamie would see out Andy's career before moving on. Mm. Um, again, not really based on any hard fact or conversation, just it felt like Andy probably will only be going for a max three more years, and it yeah. felt a natural... And you felt Andy would change his team, but with Jamie there as a kind of baseline guy who he trusts and then get an extra voice into the team. So I was a little bit surprised from that perspective. I, I would also lean with Calvin and say, I think this is a very, very good job for Jamie to get as a coach because I wasn't necessarily sure where he'd be going from Andy next. You know, even though he's done a good job with Andy, like being part of a long team, Andy's one of the best players there's been for a while. The best success came when Ivan Lendl was into the team as well, which, you know, is not taking anything away from Jamie per se, but, you know, it felt like Lendl was the key voice to get Andy over the line. So to get a head coach job for a guy who's knocking on the top 10, who I think, as Calvin again sort of said, is he's up there with, in terms of talent with any player in the world. There's a bit of mental things to fix in terms of shot choice, but... You've got all the ingredients to have a great chance at having runs at Slam. So it's a really, really good move for him and probably a slightly better one than I thought he'd go on to from Murray, to be honest. Um, and just on that, and on Jamie's playing career, actually, I don't know how many, how many people know, but like he, he was, when he was in juniors, he was seen as a phenomenal talent. He, he was a real, I, mean, he's, I think he's maybe one or two years older than me and uh, he won the Orange Bowl at under-16s, which at the time, which back in the sort of early 90s, was regarded as the the biggest tournament in the world for under-16. So he won it, and he was, it was a huge name coming through. And he never... The, Jamie's problem was that he, he's, he's not a big guy. Um, he, he's sort of relatively relatively short, and he, he was always a little bit underpowered for the very top level of the game. But he's always been regarded... Even He kind of hung around the top 200 for a while and was always regarded by all the players as an exceptionally talented player. Maybe just didn't have the big shots to break the top 100. So um, And then he did quite well at doubles as well, and... But he, he's kind of had this career, though, where he, he's, his, his entire coaching career has been with two players, with Giles Muller. He's, he stopped playing and then started, immediately started coaching Giles Muller, who I think was probably more of a mate than anything. He, 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 they, they would have been the same age, um, I guess. And then Jamie, um, Andy obviously knew Jamie through being around British tennis and got that. So he's, never, he's only ever had two jobs. Mm. Um, and has done excellent in both jobs, to be fair to him. Mm. Um, he now, Andy's obviously got rid of Esteban Carril as well, who, who was on trial. And maybe looking back now, that trial move maybe should have alerted us to the idea that there might be um, some changes going on. Uh, he's out. They've got Jan de Witt in. Uh, who's coaching CV, and I know Calvin hates it when I say has worked with. Um, he's worked with Gilles Simon, Gail Monfils, Tatsuma Ito, and Nikolos Basilashvili, which I have to say is an odd list of players. When you think about like there are some characters there. They're almost all characters and not easy ones to deal with. Um, he's known as a pretty uncompromising guy, as far as I know. Jako Niemann, I think, said something along those lines that you know sometimes a, tro- a coach has to say something and if something has to be said, Jan will say it. I, I don't know if you know him at all, Calvin, but how do you think a, a voice like that would go down in Camp Murray? I, I, I don't know him at all. Um, it, it's a strange one, that. The feeling has always been that Andy likes tends to like to surround himself with people who agree with him. Mm. Um, and that's not my opinion of it. That's that's the opinion that, that people in British tennis feel. Mm. Um, Lendl would have been the outlier in that. He's definitely not somebody like that. But um, I, So I don't know. It's, it's, I find it an odd one. He's, he's not a renowned coach. I'd, 
I didn't know about the guy before for this one. Mm. Um, I'm led to believe that he's data driven in his coaching. Um, likes to do a lot of that kind of thing. So, um, but yeah, like you say, there's nothing really that stands out there as. But again, that's not to criticise him because Andy must have watched him and thought he's a good coach. And Andy knows enough good coach. Andy's mum's an excellent coach. He knows Louis Kaye very very well, who's an excellent coach. So I'm sure these these opinions will have been seeked. Um, and in sure. fairness, it's only a temporary gig at the moment. Yeah, you know, yeah. He's, he's only doing it a bit of preseason in Abu Dhabi. He's playing in Mubdala this week. Um, I can't remember who's playing in the first round. It's someone of you know the, in the top ten. So it's not going to be an easy match. Um, and it will presumably be to see how that goes because it could when you bring in someone like that who has this very uncompromising way it can go one of two ways right like it can yeah. be immediately you have five fights on court in the first week and you go right well this is a disaster um, George do you think it'll last judging by Kirill there's no real uh, guarantee for <laughs> um, I don't know I mean it's interesting the kind of data driven side of things I know Murray's pretty into that stuff as well mm. um, he's someone who seems to always know his numbers his stats um, so that, that's interesting from that perspective. I, I I find myself coming back questioning what Andy Murray right now is after in a coach. Like, what does he actually think a coach can do at this stage in his career to change the game? Does he is he going for someone who is, as we've said time and time again, is actually going to change his approach to playing a match? And maybe this guy having both Basilashvili who just whacks it all the time. Maybe that's the sort of thing he can implement. Um, but I, I don't know what you know. It's not going to be a case that a coach is going to teach Andy Murray that much as a player. It could just be this recognition he needs to change to thrive at the top 100. But I'm not sure. That's just uh, conjecture at the minute. I, I agree with that. That's why I find it, from from what we're, from the little information that we know, that's why I find it a bit of a strange one. Because, he, like you say, Mahandi Murray, Andy is very data-driven himself as well. So you think, like, well, we're kind of getting somebody who, who thinks the same. And I thought he would have gone for somebody completely different like someone left field who you think and I thought Kirill might have been that somebody who who has a completely different approach to what he's had before um but he's kind of gone for like before that he went he went for Petch again and Petch's sort of uh, philosophies I guess are similar to Andy's because they, they, they've been around the same thing and I, I thought he might just have got if you're going to change I thought he might have gone full change and gone with something different but he seems seems to not have done or I don't know what happened with Kirill. Um, mm. To a couple of players who, a couple of British players who've had Kirill on a trial and hasn't worked out, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's possibly worth saying as well that you know this guy might have gone to Murray with a pretty good pitch of where he sees his game going, and mm. it, it could. Yeah. It's so hard to say from afar because we're not part of these conversations. But it's pretty feasible he's gone to Murray with some new data and said. Probably, maybe you've been listening to the podcast and hearing what the Cowboys are saying about the turning rates. But that's the sort of thing that you might find yourself convincing Murray if you can put a new set of ideas in based yeah. on some data he's not considered, for example. Mm. Um, so I don't know, that was a guess, but it'd be really interesting to see how it goes and where Murray can get to, which I think we all think he should be back in the top 100 pretty comfortably, but it's going to be a push to take it higher than 40, 30. And top 20, which is probably where he wants to be, that's going to be pretty tough. Well, he's got a little bit of a free hit at the beginning of the year because, of course, he hasn't got any points to defend, right? I think we're now in a, in a world where I don't have to worry about what he did three years ago at these tournaments, right? I mean, he's not defending Australian points. He's not him. defending Australian points. Well, he hasn't yeah, won a match sure. in Australia yeah. for well, He was out with COVID, years. wasn't he, as yeah. well? So he's, he's definitely got a free run there. Yeah. And then... So, you know, that could be a, a genuine jump. What is he at the moment? 134 in the world. So if he can win, say, which is not impossible... If you think about Wimbledon, if he gets a half-decent draw and win a couple of matches in Australia, all of a sudden things maybe open up for him. But then, of course, he's not going to... I mean, is he going to play on the clay? I'd imagine he's going to do a full season. I think that's what his plan will be, yeah. um, whether that will change. Yeah. To be fair to him, he, he's now had a long stretch without getting yeah. injured. Yeah, like, he's, he's at, like We went through this spell where he just couldn't ever get playing, but he's been fit to play matches now for a good sort of five or six months, hasn't he? Since Wimbledon. Mm. And you, and you only have to look, actually, at the US Open. That the match he's given Sissipas in best of five on a hard court. Yeah. You know, Sissipas is one of the best players in the world. And, okay, maybe not in the best form at that time. But Murray's a nightmare draw for anyone outside Medvedev, Djokovic. Yeah. Um, is still probably just about in there. Yeah. But if you're anyone else, if you're outside the top 15, you know, 16 to 32, that's an absolute nightmare for you. Mm. And he'd still... 
you'd still back him against a lot of the guys in the top 15 as well. I mean, yeah. You break anyone's brain up there. Mm. Yeah, I think it's probably about half of the top 15 you're picking Murray. Not with confidence, but you're yeah, picking you him. Give him a, a chance. Yeah. I think the two who you won are the two Canadian lads. They've both left <laughs> yeah. him pretty badly, haven't yeah. they? Um, Agreed. Although Chapeau had him like the day, a day after he'd been to five sets yeah. and been yeah. through the Oscar Otter match. But yes, you're absolutely right. Um, we shall see, as always. Um, it's kind of the thing you always say. Um, that, just just thought, thought, a quick thought there. There's a lot of British players with coaches on trials at the minute, isn't there? <laughs> like, I think it's just Cam Norrie who's like, settled with his coach. I think yeah. every, everyone else is... I think Harriet Dart's trying a new coach. Um, Evo. Evo is. Murray is. Um, Consovi's retired. Heather's always changing coaches, so. <laughs> on there. Um, Bolter, I think, is he's probably still going to work with Jeremy Bates, but I think her setup has. Has going to be a bit bit different. So um, Radicano obviously always changes. I was say, yeah. I mean, Radicano is... can't consider yeah. it beyond the trial yeah, until she's yeah. for more than three months. But this is, of yeah. course, what someone fishing for a new contract with the Love Tennis Podcast would say that there's lots of fluidity in the market <laughs> and the offers might be mounting up. Let's face it. Um, speaking of Radicano, George, you mentioned her there. She has been officially nominated for BBC Sports Personality of the Year this week. My favourite um, prize. Your favourite prize. Uh, it was not a surprise to anyone who was with us on Wednesday when it was let slip that she was already filming with the BBC before <laughs> Sports Personality of the Year. So no surprise there, really. Um, it'll be no surprise when she wins it. Um, it would be a surprise if she turned up at the ceremony next week because she's got COVID. Um, it would, in fact, be illegal, uh, especially given that she's out in the UAE. Um I mean, you know, she's obviously young and she's double vaccinated. I don't think that's a secret. Um, so, you know, we, we're fairly confident that, and fingers crossed, that she'll be fine. And, and we understand um, from people in her camp that she's not really feeling any symptoms and that she's generally okay in herself. But given that this was such a big preseason physically, it's a pretty big hit, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's not ideal for anyone at any point, really. In- um, ten, I mean, I suppose it's better perhaps in the off season to have I think ten it's days worse. of rest. I think this preseason, no, because she's she's done the rest. She had a holiday. I think it's worse. I think to to find yourself in what she said was going to be physically the most important preseason of her life. I think it's huge to be hit down. Okay, but I'm just saying compared to if it happens five days before the Australian Open, she would view that as much worse. Like in terms of losing the chance to play that, whether that's right or not, in terms of how her season pans out. But I still think she's just about caught, assuming there's no really big, long mm. issues, I think she's just about got it at an okay time. Because let's be honest, is she going to get much out of one match with Belinda Bencic and Mugdum? <laughs> yeah. No, not really. That yeah. probably was financially quite good, but realistically, yeah, not that important. She should be, let's assume it's... Is it 10 days? Yeah, 10 days. So, I so what day does that take? Is that the 23rd? Get out to Australia. You've still got a couple of weeks to get ready before the first event. I, I, I still think it's all right, even if it's not ideal. I, th- I think it's more in the her physical trainer. When, when they do these pre-seasons, they're very specific on each day is planned out. It's very periodised in terms of tapering up how much what your load is on each day. And it's just going to throw that into complete chaos now because you plan. You know, they'll tend to plan probably on a six-week cycle or or somewhere around maybe a five-week cycle, something like that. And you're just going to take a chunk where in the middle of it you can't do anything. It kind of goes out the window, and that that will be the major problem, I think. Will they not get weights to her and still do it if she's not feeling anything? Yeah, I think maybe like, that that's that's not out of the question. But then again, there's the tennis side of it as well that you're, yeah. you're factoring in and that kind of thing. I mean, they will they'll they'll throw in what bikes and that. But again, it's whether she whether she can actually do it. And and as I know, like look, she's probably going to have to do it, which I can. But if she loses a taste and that kind of thing, like I've lost four kilograms. Wow. You you can't. I've struggled to actually eat. I've not felt ill really at all, but I've struggled to actually get the amount of food in I need when you can't taste anything. Mm. And I think that those kind of things as well become a factor if, if you're doing as much work as what she would be required to do. I'd say from from the pure tennis side, to me, from the outside looking in, I'd imagine she'd be okay on that given, she, you know, she did have long stints off to kind of advise yeah. I'm sure she was playing a little bit, but certainly in terms of kind of top level, I did. I'm not sure I worry about her that much. And if she is still able to physically train properly and it's no illness and, as you say, no taste, I, I'm still on the fence that it's not too bad. But I'd also add, 
we won't really know how much of an effect it has because if she lost first round of Australia, that wouldn't be that surprising anyway. No, to me. no, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's so true. it's quite hard to quantify. It's kind of guesswork at the best yeah, of times. Um, yeah, well, again, one of those things where we'll just uh, we'll just see. So um, fingers crossed for her, and of course, we wish her the very best. Um, she will almost certainly walk Sports Personality of the Year, especially with Lewis Hamilton um, not having won the eighth world title. And Tyson uh, Fury threatening to sue them. Right, so <laughs> I, ha- I had this conversation with um, my partner, who is uh, a legal expert, and she'll hate me saying that, and she can probably hear it. Um, but, you know, she's a lawyer. And I said, I, he said, he wants to sue the BBC. And I, I don't really know what he can sue them for. Like, they're Defamation? Not, it's, yeah, You're not a good person. Also, he said in the same interview where he said he'd sue them... He said, oh, but I should win it. Like, I'm obviously the clear winner. But I'm, I, and, then, and then about three paragraphs later, also said, but I'm actually quite a boring bloke. So it's just, honestly, I mean, not that it's about personality, because that's not what it means. Yeah, well, it's about sporting achievements. Yeah. Um, <laughs> nevertheless, Tyson Fury won't win it either. Uh, hopefully, Emma will run it Either home. the legal case, nor the prize. Uh, no, I mean, he won't win any of it. But yeah. you know what? If I was his lawyer, I would be picking up the phone to him every single time, because he's got very deep pockets, and yeah. I would happily entertain the cause. Yeah. Might as well go for it from there. Yeah. And he's, um, he's pretty friendly with his lawyer, let's be honest, uh, because he... Um, Guess what? Work one way or another. <laughs> anyway, moving on before we need one. Um, it's time for our end of season awards. Um, we have, I think, about ten of them, so we will get on with it. I think it's twelve. Is it twelve? Oh, I, I added those two. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Um, there's only one place to start. It's men's player of the year. I, I think what we should do, with your permission, gentlemen, is create some nominations, give our arguments, and then let the people decide. Okay. Um, because it would only be right for the Love Tennis Podcast listeners to decide what we think. Oh, are we going with the nominations I've provided, or have you guys I got mean, your external? I, I like your nominations in the most part, but there may be times when we want to put up some other names. <laughs> um, men's Player of the Year, we probably have to at least include Novak Djokovic, um, given that he won three of the four Grand Slams. Is anyone going to argue against Djokovic? Well, I prize? wanted to put up an argument, okay. which is that... Um, it's quite a difficult argument to make, <laughs> but basically that we pretty much expected Novak Djokovic to win at least three Grand Slams this year, if not four. I'm picking to win two. You can't hold him being brilliant against him yeah. being brilliant. <laughs> 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 to be fair, I, I, I would have picked him to win two. I still had him for Australia and Wimbledon, but not the French. I, and I, I said... T- Zverev would win the US, I think. No, I don't want to say Medvedev. I don't you want to say Medvedev would win the US. So, you know, I, in terms I, of his I, exceeded expectations. I think it would be... I, th- I think we ought to be trying to make a case against it rather than for him. For him, <laughs> he's, he's clear. If you've won, th- if you're world number one and you've won three slams, you're player of the year. So that's <laughs> not even a debate that one. So my point was that given how brilliant Novak Djokovic is, is it not even more brilliant for Daniil Medvedev to break the sort of um, the spell, if you like, and to win that last match. So well, other players have beaten him. This, like, it's well, Dan know, Evans, it's player happened. of the year. Other <laughs> <laughs> players Zverev. have beaten him in slams, like you know, like um, well, not this Bar- year. No, but Barinka has beaten him in a few. Like you wouldn't have given Barinka player of the year a couple, you know, five years ago. But you? you know, he's not beaten him when he was on a twenty-six game, twenty-seven. Game? 27 game unbeaten streak at slams. You like, can't give the guy who's won one slam <laughs> over the guy who's won three. <laughs> well, look, let, let, let the record show that I tried. Just to say, I mean, Novak obviously got there in the end, but Medvedev was in the in contention for year end world number one up until the final yeah. event mm. of the season. Yeah. So he was the only one. But that's also really like, in the conversation. that's kind of the point system as well, because like Djokovic wasn't really playing outside of slams yeah. because it wasn't necessarily worth his time. But he was very consistent, Daniel. In yeah. I see it being a lot closer next year. I, 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 I do, but I, I, I think I'd struggle to give it to anyone else and I, I'm not his biggest fan as a person. But, um. <laughs> Who else did I write? Uh, Zverev, so Medvedev, Zverev. And then, I mean, who else do we put in the conversation? The fourth nomination for Player of the Year, I don't know. Matteo Berrettini? The thing is, Sissipas, until the French Open, was on. Yeah, it was. Yeah, first half of the year. Yeah. So recency bias kind of takes him out, but for me, he probably still... Well, he was fourth in the race, spot. so I suppose you kind of put him there. I mean, the only other ones you could talk about is Berrettini getting to the Wimbledon final. You know, he had a pretty golden summer. Um, I suppose you might say Rublev, the 250 king, um, but hasn't really kicked on in at the times when you wanted him to. So I suppose we have to say Titi Pass, which... 
it's kind of depressing because I feel like we could have sat down at the beginning of the year and picked those four as the the four players of the year. Yeah. Um, but we'll see who who the people will pick. Who knows? They they might not pick. Ferrer fans, of course, could skew this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we might get in trouble for not picking Federer, but um, I don't think we're going to. Uh, let's move on to the Women's Player of the Year because it's a much more interesting conversation. Um, Ash Barty is an obvious choice, as is Barbara Krajikova, as is Emma Raducanu, because she's been nominated for every award in sight in the last, I don't know how long. Um, I mean, I would say it's close, this. Very close. George, do you want to state your case? Yeah, I mean, look, realistically, I am going for Barty, which I think is who we'd all ultimately agree on the, no but never mind the other person I would make the case for would be Krichikova who I think has obviously had a brilliant singles year but when you also factor in her doubles on top of that mm. and I you know me, me and Calvin had a bit of a row about this on WhatsApp oh and I look forward to reading <laughs> my in the next couple of minutes <laughs> but what I was saying was so I'm sure Calvin will come back but so Calvin's main argument against this was that Pavic is clearly the best men's doubles player for example mm. and so you couldn't have doubles players doubles results included because that wouldn't make them the best player in the year so obviously my one mini rebuttal to that initially would be even though I also agree Pavic is the world's best doubles player watching you argue against yourself they what, <laughs> yeah, I'm just trying to do it quickly <laughs> he, you know, he's part of a team so he's a little bit more tough to do that however the difference for me is that Pavic wouldn't then go and win singles Grand Slam. So we, when we're discussing the best tennis player, typically we look at that through the prism of singles and who's the best player. However, I think once you've won a slam, as many as anyone else has won in your discipline this year, plus been so dominant in the women's doubles game as well, I think it's an interesting argument between Barty, who's won the most points and won a lot of events and been brilliant, Krajikov has won a lot more bigger titles, perhaps, that maybe twists it slightly in her favour. So I'm happy to take Krajikov for some uh, balance if no one else wants her. But I think if, it, if we're going purely on singles, it's Barty. But I think Krajikov has got a better body of work this year, so she would be my player of the year if we include doubles. I'd, I'd, I'd argue a bit on that. I mean, I'd, I'd sort of argue with, and again, I'd, I still disagree massively on the doubles thing. But, um, <laughs> but even on a singles um, run, I, I think you can make a pretty strong case that she's she's player of the year on singles. I mean, she went, she went, she had a spell, and I don't remember the, the the absolutes of this, but she had a spell after she'd won the U.S. Open where she was she was only ever losing to tournament French winners Open. as well. Sorry, French Open, yeah. She was only ever losing to tournament winners from for, for, for like about three months after that as mm. well when and it, it was phenomenal run where she was either she was either winning or she was losing to very very good players all the time and and it, you could make a pretty solid argument I think that she she has had the best year um Barty just for me she just doesn't play enough and mm. I, I struggle with that and I get that you know there's the COVID thing and because she's Australian there's that issue but she just dis- seems to disappear for for months on end she, in Barty's defense I mean <clears throat> I think she was going to win the French Open if she didn't get injured in the second or third round. I'm pretty sure she'd have gone on to win that. She was in amazing form there. And then coming back to win Wimbledon, really when she was meant to be out for two months, to turn around and get to that final within a month is a pretty incredible achievement. And she has still picked up the most points of everyone. I don't know. I, 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 I have a bit more sympathy with her kind of cutting off the season at the end because she had to be on the road so much having come from Australia, so it's mm. a little bit of a difference compared to players who could <clears throat> nip home in Europe, etc. So I'm going to put a stat in front of you that might surprise you. Do you know who's performed better at Grand Slams this year, Ash Barty or Barbara Krajikova? Without doing the math? Uh, probably Krajikova. Well, I mean, obviously, otherwise I wouldn't have brought it up, right? But it's, <laughs> it's, it's not by much. So Barty has got a final, a quarter-final, a second round and a third round. Krajikov has got a final, a quarter-final, a second round, and a fourth round. So she's basically won one more match than her at Grand Slams this year. Krajikov is 19 and 6. Um, 19 and 4, sorry. 3. Is that right? 15 and 3. There you go. Yeah. Got there in the end. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, how on earth did you lose six <laughs> matches yeah, at the Slams? Really impressive year. <laughs> Taking the doubles into Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, and, and, and then when you add in a bit of doubles as well, I think, I think she genuinely takes it. And I know obviously Barty is year-end number one and the rest of it, but yeah, I, 
I, I, and I'm always swayed by someone who's like outperformed themselves. I know it's not what it's about, but I think it does sway your kind of thinking when they've done it unexpectedly. Obviously, Emma Raducanu is in the conversation, but that's also an element of recency bias and an element of surprise bias. Yeah. And didn't play a whole season. Emma Raducanu is not in the mix. <laughs> <laughs> she's like she's had three good weeks. <laughs> like, I mean, four if you include the first. Like, you're going to have that, and Naomi Osaka's in yeah. the mix. Well, I, I was we say can nominate her. Yeah. Uh, I would probably nominate Arena Sabalenka as well. I was going to say she, Sabalenka. She's been the probably the best. Tall level player yeah. outside the slam. If if we go a bit left field here, right in in the in the in terms of like in the men's right, and I t- I'm I'm wary of like sound of being anti woke here. Like how we go about this, right? And the men they go best of five, so the slams are a different different calculation. This is a good point. So the women's though, although they have to play seven matches, which they don't, so we, you know there's a bit on that. The slams aren't really different, and if so, in that respect. So then, if you take like Sabalenka's year outside of that, she's definitely in the mix because the amount of what she's won, which are different types of tournaments, but they're not slams that you wouldn't get in the men's. Like the 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 one thousands in the women's are basically the same as the slams. So I, th- I, th- I think that. Sabalenka should be in that as, as probably as terribly as I've tried to explain what I was trying to say there. No, I think you're absolutely right. I think there's less slam waiting in the women's yeah, game, basically. My only thing I say about the slams in the women's is the extra pressure the day off builds the whole way through, in a way. That's, yeah. and, and I'm not saying... In a way, in a way it should be easier physically, but I think it just builds up but then a I'd, bigger I'd, thing. I'd, I'd counter another argument with that is that like the men's slams, you know you're, you're usually going to have to go through one of the top... Over the last... 10 years, you're going to have to go through one or two of the top two or three players. In the women's, there's so many random winners that you that, that the cachet isn't quite the same. Mm-hmm. As It's kind of mad, really, when you consider how good Sabalenka has been all year, that from the position she was in the semi-finals of the US Open, she's not won that. Oh, yeah, I mean, uh, I mean that's... I've been backing Sabalenka to win a slam on multiple occasions this year. I should also add Sabalenka won the Australia Open doubles and beat Krajitova and Sinyakova. Which is, you know, I know we're not supposed to be including it, but if you're going to talk about Kajikwa's doubles, we should talk about it. I mean, Radikano won a slam without beating a player in the top ten. Yeah, it was Benjic yeah. 11. Yeah. Yeah, Benjic was that. And Benjic was the only player in the top 20, if she beat, wasn't it? Uh, Sakari would have been oh, in the top 20 yeah. as well. Um, and Sakari is a top 10 player as well. Yeah, yeah. So to be fair. fair. Yeah, exactly. yeah. It's just the, the screwed up WTA rankings, um, which might be in the disappointment of the year, yeah. the WTA rankings. <laughs> um, let's move on because time is catching up with us as always. Uh, best ATP youngster, under 21, you said, George. Is it under 21 at the beginning of the year or the end of the year? By the end. Yeah, so you still be under 21. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I think so. I mean, that yeah. rules out one yeah. or two people, but um, only really like Jensen Brooksby. Um, you have to remind me of who I nominated. Well, you've nominated so someone who's now invalid, so we're going to have to find someone else. Yeah, Sebastian Corder. Has he turned just turned 21? 20. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. He's just turned 21? Well, yeah. That's all right then. Oh, you said I turned 21 and under, sorry. Oh, I see. That's right, right. okay. So, as long as he's 21. Under 21 on the 1st of January 2021. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 21 a lot in there. 21 by the end. Of I see. The okay. Um, I mean, you, I assume you're going to pick Yannick Sinner for this, and I'd like you to defend that decision. Um, I was kind of torn between him and Alcaraz. Um, it's Carlos Alcaraz, isn't it? Like it's a I, best. I think it's Alcaraz. Yeah. It's a best think, youngster yeah. award, and he's got half as many points as Sinner this year. But Sinner's done nothing we expected him to. Sinner's probably yeah. performed. As we expected, maybe a little under. Yeah, I thought he might have. Yeah, it's a weird one. He's he's had a very good year. How many titles? Was he won six titles or something? Or is, is that overall? Yeah, in his but hasn't he done the cast? Is he actually movie? six? Yeah, is he uh, yeah, wasn't he the youngest person ever to win six titles Frank. in the same season? Yeah, but it's pretty impressive. He's, he hasn't done anything in the slams, and I'd struggle to name his biggest win. Like what? What? Who's the best player he's beat this year? Yeah, um, I feel like he beat Sissipas at some point, but. Um, I, I mean, did he beat Zverev in the French? Or was that last that year? Was that last, last year, year there was no one there. The, the, delay. In the damp, dark yeah. September French Open, wasn't mm. it? Um, He's not had no, a better win than that this year. I wouldn't say. No, but then Al- Alcaraz beat City Pass in a in a US Open. Yeah, like, I, I think it's Alcaraz. Um, the other nominations along with Sinner, Alcaraz, Lorenzo Musetti, um, basically just someone I mean, we always talk about. He reached a Masters final, didn't he, Musetti? Which is 
I'd like to know what happened to Massetti and Sitsipas at the French Open. Like, <laughs> since then, like they both like were nailed. They both were on their way for like year end, like being the best. Yeah, yeah. Mas- and they completely went to be well. Massetti's both Masters them. came after, didn't they? I mean, that was was that Cincinnati or Toronto? His Masters. That Mas- was definitely was it. Yeah, it was a really random hardcore. I'm pretty sure because mm. um, it was totally unexpected. Because right. I was worried because he's obviously our young player of. Um, the year and he actually didn't do as well in the clay as I was hoping that's when I was I mean, they both got really their, both Pass and Massetti got their souls stolen by Novak Djokovic <laughs> both at two <laughs> sets to live up and do you want to talk about that again without saying that Massetti's won a Masters I didn't say he won it so he reached the final didn't he oh, no he didn't he's, got, he's won like two matches at Masters all year he got to the third round in Miami what tournament am I thinking of <laughs> I think he had a good no it was last year it was that like Rome Rome last or was it Rome this year? He's where? never made a final. He's never made it past the third round. What on yeah. earth am I referencing? I mean, I've I don't know. Head. I mean, he's he, I've he, gone into a parallel universe. He right. hasn't won a title since like two. He won a challenge. What's the hard court event? Did quite well. On. Has he done? Uh, I really don't know where these. It's Miami. Are. You're thinking of Miami. I think he had like he had maybe had a couple of decent wins. Uh, um, let me see if I can find who he played in Miami. But um, I. Th- <laughs> He did well at Rome. It was Rome he had a good run at, I'm sure. That was last year, wasn't it? Because he came through was qualifying it? and did... Right. Yeah, and went to the third round. I swear there was a hardcore tournament this year. He did... Beat Hubert Hercats, really who got injured. <laughs> right. Well, well, I mean, you can, you can nominate Mazzetti if you want, but on that basis, he's not getting it any sound votes. like he... Uh, he was most of his achievements, like, are completely to, wrong. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, I've... Wrong with him, it's, um, it's Alcaraz, I think, anyway. Yeah, and, and, but and if it, we have to put, you know, I mean, hilariously, like Felix Olgarly has seen qualifies for this category, and you wouldn't put him in it, would you? It's same as Massetti. He, he doesn't. It's not, not same as Sinner. He doesn't win the big matches. Mm. He doesn't have those big wins against the best players when it really matters. And you, all, I always think he's he's coming. Uh, every every he always starts off every slam and he looks great. There's nobody whose top level is better than Felix. Or Gary Alisson, mm. but he still has these areas of his game that I, I keep sort of broken record on it. His second serve is still ropey. His return is ropey, and he can't volley. Mm. First Slam semi-final was it for Felix? That's yeah. I mean, that felt like a watershed moment, and he got into the top ten for about ten days, um, and then he was budged out again. So you know, he he has made some progress, but not much. I would put one of the American lads in. I would say Corder Brooksby. Um, Put Corder in. Like, you did, yeah, but totally. that was briefly. He wasn't qualified, but he's qualified again now. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, I had Corder above Musetti. Okay. In my, you just four. were filling out. Fine. I was just adding extra mm. names in, yeah. and yeah. I did think Musetti had done really well at a Masters event, which I've completely fabricated. It's pretty so hilarious. I would also <laughs> relegate that. Option. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who the hell I'm thinking of? Who Should was we... the Toronto or Cincinnati final between them? You want the Cincinnati Masters 2021 final so and if, Toronto. If there's no one young in this, I don't know what's wrong with me. Um, since uh, you're not thinking Miami, are you? When Hercats won it? No, because he beat Sinner, didn't he? Beat yeah. Sinner, yeah. Um, I mean, Cincinnati was won by Alexander Zverev, young up and comer against Andre Rublev. That's not it. <laughs> Toronto. I mean, Toronto. Toronto is starting to ring a bell. I mean, it's amazing how much. The thing is, when you watch every tournament from your bedroom, like because you're it working from home, blends in. they completely blend into one. Yeah, I have no recollection of that. That's very Rublev final at, at Cincinnati <laughs> no. at all. Um, so uh, the Toronto final was a young up and comer called Daniil Medvedev, yep. and he beat Riley Apelka. <laughs> like, like you're so far off. The I mark, just don't even know what. There are two tournaments that I have no recollection of. Like, <laughs> I can probably tell you who won the 1994 Toronto match. <laughs> <laughs> I like, can't tell you who won the. the Maybe I just dreamt it at the time. I'm really looking forward to this tournament. I'm going to research this and I'll bring it to you next week and work out what I'm referring to here. The the Napoli 250 Open. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Let's move on to the WTA. Uh, Best youngster. Any? I can't think of anyone. Oh yeah, Emma Raducanu. I mean, is that the answer? Or, I mean, as you say, Calvin, she's just had three good weeks, but in, in the WTA that is often enough. It's definitely the answer for this. Yeah, it probably is. Probably is. She's the only one under twenty one to win a slam, presumably. Yeah, but she's not got the most points from the twenty ones. No, that would be Schwantek. No, that's Schwantek. And then actually Coco Goff has got more points than Emma Raducanu this year. She yeah. Which yeah. is bizarre. But and so well, Goff's had a very good year, actually, yeah. like in terms of progress when you consider her age, because I mean she's younger than 
Yeah, if, if Leila Fernandez wins the final, you'd probably argue that she's had a better year than yeah, hundred percent than, than uh, yeah, But that, that's your four: Raducanu, Goff, Fernandez, Fiontek. I don't think there's anyone yeah. I mean, really in that yeah. conversation. Fiontek's probably had the best year of them, but mm. she didn't win a slam. So Raducanu. Shout out to um, Camille Azorio, by the way, the Colombian who I picked yeah. on qualifying um, yeah, yeah, as a yeah. qualifier at the slams, um, mostly because she's changed her name from Maria Camille Azorio to Camille Azorio, which from someone who has to write down names like for a living, I just like it when they simplify things. So, um, well done, Camille. I'm hugely appreciative of that. Uh, we're on to Coach of the Year. Uh, I think the obvious nomination is Calvin Betton. Like, uh, pretty hands down. Yeah. Um, certainly my favourite coach that I talk to regularly. Yeah. Um, but if we, if we do go to, I suppose, the even more elite level... Um, who would you nominate, George? Andrew Richardson might be the unluckiest coach of the year. Yeah, I think uh, I did put him in my nominees, <laughs> just, for, just for posterity. Um, I mean, this is the hardest category, right? Because unless you're literally there every day, you really have, it's very difficult to really put your finger on what impact the coach has had. I think it comes back to this, the, the, what we spoke about last week, of like improving players beyond what you would think is an, is an expected level of improvement, yeah. beyond a par level. And for me, I don't know whether George put them in the nominations, but um, Faco Lagones. I um, didn't write him down, but I've since thought about yeah, him as Norris' coach. Like, like, nobody thought, like, if, you'd have asked, if you'd have asked 100 people where they thought Cam Norrie was going, going to be at the end of the year, I don't think anybody would have had him at 13. Is it so? And I've seen Faku work. He's an excellent coach, um, and I, I'd have him as coach of the year, to be honest. I, I think because in my nominations I wrote who I thought should win every category and then put it in brackets. Um, but I have changed a few of my minds since then. But <clears> I think the one I put to win it was Gilles Savara, who's Medvedev's coach. And I just for similar things, I, I think the mental hurdle of getting over that first landmark, particularly in the context of Medvedev getting so brutally hammered at the Australian Open, to then bring him round to a point where he can then brutally hammer Novak yeah. in a slam. You know, I'm not saying it's purely Jules Savara, because Medvedev's obviously brilliant, but we've seen time and time again, getting over that hump for so many players over time is something they actually don't do against someone like Novak. Yeah. Um, and Medvedev really, I watch him now, and he's out playing Novak all the time, really, when they're meeting. I know Novak won in Paris, but that was from a big stylistic shift from yeah. Novak that he doesn't make against anyone, um, which I think is actually a huge compliment to Medvedev's game now, and need a good coach to get there. So I think he's had a great year as well, but I don't disagree also with Calvin's pick. I think another left field one as well, and it, it pains me to say because I, I don't like the player, I don't really like the coach either, is, um, is Misha Zverev. Mm. He's, he, since he's worked with his brother, he's definitely, well, he definitely, his second yeah. serve has definitely improved. Yeah. Uh, his forehand's definitely improved. And, and big areas, like we talked about there, and, like, and I think certain coaches should have a look at themselves, like, like Felix Auger's team haven't improved his weaknesses at all in about three years. Mm. And, and Misha Zverev, to be fair, his he's he's overseen an improvement in his brother's second serve and his forehand. Um, I would, and it's partly I guess a little bit informed by knowing the situation a little bit. Is is Juan Carlos Ferrero, who's obviously been working with Carlos yeah. Alcaraz. Like it, it's difficult because Carlos Alcaraz is a physical freak. Like mm -hmm. an eighteen-year-old, he's so physically mature. You can't necessarily give Ferrero credit for that, but I know he's picked him up from the age of sort of fourteen and kind of nurtured him and. He spent almost all of lockdown hitting with Juan Carlos Ferreira, basically. Um, and I know he had made his breakthrough just before lockdown when he beat um, Ramos Fernolas in Rio, but you kind of have to give him some credit for that, I think. To, to come out of lockdown the way he did yeah. and be the player he was, I, I would put him in there. I, I, th I think it's going to be interesting to see what, what happens now with Alcaraz, really, because you get those, those people like that, like you said, James, a physical freak and... So the examples that I use, not in tennis, is, is, uh, is Wayne Rooney mm. at, at football. That he came into the sport, as everyone made a big point of when he, came, when he broke into the sport at 16, 17, 18. Uh, but he was already the physical, he'd already reached physical maturity on that. And you could make a solid argument that, that Wayne Rooney was never better than what he was at, at 17, 18 years old. Yeah. Because of that. And it'd be interesting whether... whether whether Alcaraz, because he's the first one we've kind of seen like that, who's 
who is he might this might be the physically the biggest he ever gets. There's he could get bigger. I'm not saying he, he will, but there's a solid argument that he's so big and so physically mature that that never gets any bigger. So then all you've really got from there is experience to add on to it. Yeah, and, and just <clears throat> on top of that, from a tennis perspective, I mean that next jump is always so much harder every ten from that point. And we've looked, you know, we're sat here saying. We almost don't think Sinner's had a great year because of how yeah. good he was last year. But Sinner's had an amazing year. I mean, he's reached top 10. He's, yeah. If you guys have just said he's won six titles, I probably was trying to give one of them to Massetti or something in my head. But, uh, mm, no, almost certainly. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, that next step is where it gets really hard. Not only because players start looking, <clears throat> oh yeah, you're that young Spanish lad everyone thinks is really good. We're going to take you down, etc. So, yes, it's going to be tough for now. I think we're seeing with a lot of the players now, it takes them three or four years, actually, like Zverev, to yeah. find that level. Yeah. Medvedev's the same. Yeah, yeah. Pass, so. yeah. <clears throat> we'll see where he goes. Um, yeah, they're, they're your nominations. Go and uh, have, have a look on Twitter, at Love Tennis Pod, and pick your coach of the year. I, I, we could nominate about eight. I think that's kind of what we come down to, but um, we seem to have narrowed it down to four. Uh, team of the year. Uh, there are lots of choices here. Um Joe Salisbury and Raji Ram, uh, Barbara Kujikova and Katerina Sinyakova. It's Katerina, isn't it? Um, Pavic and Mekic, uh, Herbert and Mahu, I'd like to exclude on recent grounds. Um, and the Russian Olympic Committee, who I would actually also like to exclude. But, um, but I have whatever. <laughs> yeah, this, this is the problem. So I, I, would, I would say that, unfortunately, the team of the year is the Russian Tennis Federation because they won Davis Cup finals, they romped the King Cup. ATP um, finals. ATP finals, gold and two silvers at the Olympics. Um, it, it's just been a joke. Yeah, they won the mixed doubles at the Olympics. Yeah, yeah, I was trying to remember. Yeah, it was gold and two silvers. Yeah. Um, who won the ATP finals? Oh, the ATP Davis Cup, Cup finals. Oh, right, yeah. And oh, ATP, ATP Cup. Cup. Right. ATP Cup, sorry. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, yeah, I mean, it's just the Russians, isn't it? I think, pick, so. pick, I think if we're taking if we're taking one single doubles team, I'd probably go for Krishikova Sinyakova if yeah. we're going for one team. Yeah, probably is the Russian. No, and for me, it's Mektic and Pavic for me. They they won ever they completely dominated men's doubles for about two thirds of the year. Mm. I think they won, what did they win? They won the Aussie. Did they win the French. I thought they only won one slam. They actually only won one slam, which is talking rubbish. Kind of bizarre, but <laughs> then they won the Olympics as well. Yeah, and I think what, what you have to know about Mektic and Pavic is that they were specifically put together for, to them. to win the Olympics, yeah. and they ended up <laughs> to worked out they ended up not needed to put them together because they they beat two of the Croatians in the yeah, final as yeah. well. But um, so that they they achieved that goal, and they just they they were so dominant that like you say maybe they they only won one slam, but they they won so many masters. And there were three masters events yeah. and got to the final of two more. Yeah, and you know across surfaces. I mean, I know it doesn't make such a difference in doubles, but like they won two hard court masters, uh, one hard court masters, two clay court masters. They won a grass court slam. Like it's it's impressive stuff. Um, I know one of the other nominated teams, Joe Salisbury and Raji Ram, must be sick of the sight of them. Because they yeah. keep running into them in finals and, and losing most of the time, um, but great year for them as well. I yeah, mean, they've done really, done really I well. Wanted to give them more of a mention rather than probably argue they're number one. But yeah, really um, good year. Uh, Obo and Mahu, uh, I don't really want to talk about Pierre Ugezabu. I'm too annoyed about it. I imagine Nicola Mahu might be pretty annoyed about it as well because yep. he's basically lost his doubles partner because he's what's re- happened? He's refusing to get vaccinated. Oh, I didn't know it's, about it's the that. First, right. first news. Honestly, come out and said they're not going to Australia okay. because of the vaccine. Right. He's, I mean, it struck me. He <coughs> said, "I don't want to get bogged down to it because it's nonsense." And you know, get vaccinated. We haven't been vaccinated yet. Um, he said, uh, "I don't know if I'm going to be able to be- keep being a tennis player um, because this is a physical choice that I've made." And I was like, "Of the things that tennis players do to themselves." That getting vaccinated is not the most physically dangerous thing that they do. No. There are things that all tennis players do to keep themselves fit and to get through a season that have like higher rates of serious injury or even worse than getting a COVID vaccination. It's it, a strange thing though, isn't it? Like We know that, that the French, I think, are a bit odd on this because Jeremy Chardy was one who got vaccinated and then was apparently in a really bad way. He's also not Australia, actually. So yeah. I mean, He's not come out and said why, but given the previous... Presumably he hasn't had his second jab. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but they're, they're, strangely, because they're such a, tennis is such a big sport in France, they're probably the least 
sports science-based nation um, in the world. Like, as we know, there's a couple of French lads who like to enjoy themselves. Coming, I know he's about Dimitrov, but I think Benoit Pair enjoys a female companion. Was yeah, it James? Uh, yeah, basically. Um, and you know, they, they they enjoy the clubs of Paris, um, that kind of thing. So they're, they're not a science-based um, tennis nation uh, per se. So it doesn't overly surprise me mm. uh, this type of thing. Um, guided by the science, will be guided by the fans uh, when it comes to voting for uh, Team of the Year. Um, best match, uh, there's, there's loads in here that, that we could mention. Um, Djokovic and Nadal, French Open Finals, Zverev Djokovic at the Olympics, Zverev Djokovic at the US Open, um, Osaka Muguruza at the Australian Open, Mariotta at Wimbledon, Azarenka Bedosa at Indian Wells. Um, for me, it's Mariotta, and like that's partly because... I was there and it was a incredibly like just just electric night. Um the story, the kind of narrative of Murray getting back to his best. Look, Oscar Otter is a good player, he, he's not gonna win a slam. Um we all knew that, that this was the case, and it didn't matter. Like no one on Centre Court cared that Oscar Otter was ranked what, hundred and one at the time. They cared that Andy Murray was picking a bloke out in the crowd and screaming at him every time he won a point. And it was just like, if you just suspended your disbelief even a little bit, it was an amazing night. And, you know, he got pumped by Denis Shapovalov in the next round. But it's like the good old days of British tennis when you got really excited about a second round win. And it didn't matter that you got hammered in the third round. Um, for me, it, I, I choose different Murray match. I think it's Murray City. I was just, just saying, um, now we've just said that, yeah. I was just thinking, yeah, that, that was really Yeah, good. just the dra- everything about it, the drama <laughs> and the, the toilet break stuff and he, he was playing as well as he's played against a good player. Um, that was, that was the, the match that I enjoyed the most probably this year. For me, the best quality match I watched this year was Djokovic-Nadal quarterfinals of the French. I think that was the highest level um, particularly the first half of that match. Like I think maybe other matches you could argue have more drama, but yeah. the significance of Novak becoming the first man to beat Rafa twice. It was a semi-final for the record. Semi, sorry, excuse me. Um, and kind of, even the fact it became quite brutal in Novak's favour by the end, it was still pretty pulsating mm. and gripping yeah. and a great flip from last year's final. But the quality of the first couple of sets was out of this world, really. Mm. The, in terms of quality, the second highest ones were probably is one with Zverev at the US Open. I mean, that yeah. was a phenomenal watch as well. Yeah, uh, I mean, there's, there's a lot of Djokovic matches this year, quite frankly. Yeah. Because he's you have to be so good to beat him. Yeah, and, uh, and because people have been, you know, the French Open alone, he played, what, four or five, five sets, sets, three, five yeah. sets, um, which is special. So, yeah, I, I, I do think that, that Osaka Muguruza match as well, I do remember that, and that, that was, you know... Yeah. And Badosa Azarenka was a... Possibly the best final of the year? Maybe. It's probably it gone under the really radar really good on Indian well. Wells. Oh, it was a probably yeah. slog fest between the two of them. And pretty down. I think it went to tiebreak third set. It was pretty... Uh, there will be a lot... Well. I mean, it's one of those categories where <laughs> you could nominate four and nominate 20 more and yeah. people will always have their own like personal reasons for. But we'll, we'll pick the ones that we've personally picked and, and throw in another obvious one mm-hmm. for you. Um, most memorable moment of the year... Uh, George, I've, I, I, tell us about your nominee, your pick, your okay, winner. Well, my, my winner was probably one of the most bizarre moments I can ever remember in a tennis match. Um, and arguably even more bizarre than what he did at the same tournament a year earlier. <laughs> um, I've gone for Novak Djokovic crying in the final of the US Open before the match had finished. And it was just like... I think without the context, you'd be like, well, that was really odd. But it's like the 20 year career of this guy just being yeah. desperate to be loved. He's getting hammered in this final. He finally breaks Medvedev. It's yeah. been absolutely unreal. And you're suddenly thinking, oh man, Novak's just pulled the ultimate like hustle. That's yeah, cool. yeah. And then all of a sudden, he's, he's, the fans are like, come on, Novak. And he's like, oh, I can't handle the love. It's yeah. It was just mad. I liked like, it because it confirmed what I've always said about him. And people have often criticised me for saying it, that all Novak wants is to be loved. And people say, oh, no, it's, it's more than that. I'm like, no, this really is it. It's about <laughs> acceptance and validation. And the, the, the brilliance of it was they were only loving because they wanted the match to go a bit longer. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't really love it. They just wanted a bit more value for money because it was so one-sided. Um, Radicani's US Open run, I mean, it's, it's hardly even a, a moment, but, you know, the whole thing. 
Um, Federer getting bageled at Wimbledon. I'm sure some people enjoyed that much more. I think Murray at Wimbledon as well was a was a big one. Yeah, yeah. In terms of moments, um, I I again one of the personal ones I saw was watching Nick Kyrgios get coached by a woman in the third row on number three. Yeah. Thought possibly one of the more remarkable like sets of tennis I've ever seen, <laughs> and it made me think that you shouldn't sit in the coach's box if you're a coach. If you sit in the coach's box and coach, you get done. If you sit in row three and buy a ticket, you're just like, oh, who am I, umpire? You can't penalise me for coaching. I'm just a punter. They do say that some players used to just have little plants around that were, like, ticketed. Because you only get penalised if they're actually part of your box. And for some of the lesser-known players who could sneak someone in the stands, um, they'd just stick them outside the box and have them talking to them. But... Unproven, unfounded claims, of course. Basically, court siding for the players. I get quite a that. fun rumor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, there's lots of. The, I mean, there's, there's thousands of moments. Um, that I mean, one you were courtside for, Calvin, was that Alex Dumanur re- re- under round the net return. Yeah, that was, was a phenomenal shot. Yeah, probably <laughs> shot of the year that one. I um, saw it first hand. I wish I hadn't. But, um... George, you got another one. I'm just. I'm not sure a moment needs to be good or not, but. A moment where tennis had so many eyes on it was actually Raducanu's uh, fourth round at Wimbledon as well. I'm not saying it was a good moment, but it was it was a moment where what? the excitement had hit such a level and then to almost disintegrate into well, that worrying. If we're going on that, then Peng Shui as well. Right, last last week was yeah. probably as much as um, yeah. Yeah, certainly not last memorable. week, last month. Sorry, I don't think anyone yeah. anyone will forget, and hopefully people don't forget. Her and um, because that one's going to run and run. Um, yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. Lots in there and lots that people will vote for and lots of people leave in the comments. I'm sure. Um, best Grand Slam. Easy to pick nominees for this one. Um, <laughs> uh, I'll just run through U.S. Open, Wimbledon, Australian Open, French Open. Uh, and the one that's and the one that Massetti won. <laughs> <laughs> Finish Open. That one. Uh, George, uh, you are picking U.S. Open. Yeah, I, I think it was between USA Open and Wimbledon in terms of... Um, I thought the first week of Wimbledon was really, really good. Um, very memorable. Lots of big matches with Colin mm. Murray coming through and Raducanu. But actually, I think the US Open topped it given Raducanu's remarkable win. That moment I just mentioned with Novak, Medvedev's first slam. Murray stuff in week one. Murray, yeah, you know... Yeah, it US Open for me. I mean... The, you know, full crowd sold as well, didn't it? So mm. it felt like after a year of not having them there, it felt like we actually got a proper tournament again. Yeah, I think the crowd is the thing that swings it, isn't it? Like it just it just had so much more electricity. I mean, because the French Open, if there had been a crowd, would have been pretty special because yeah. like you had all the Djokovic comebacks. So Djokovic being two sets down to um, Musetti. Djokovic. Being Wait, two... didn't Massetti win that on his way to the side? <laughs> <laughs> Djokovic being two sets down to Tsitsipas, and you know the mental WTA side of it when you just had people coming out of nowhere. Um, I know we want stars to win in tennis, but like you know, I think that would have been quite special to have that. Um, I enjoyed the Australian Open this year as well, but again, it's it's not the same. Pretty, I think that'll be a walkover. Just to give the Australian Open a little mention, there's some pretty amazing early Kyrgios matches in that as well. <laughs> a long Obviously. time ago, but yeah, Kick, we'll kicking the crowd out halfway that through. Pretty, that was pretty good as well. Yeah. Uh, best and, and Djokovic surviving uh, a torn ab, which uh, well, yeah, 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 yeah. Really that, 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 that was pretty a mad tournament. Just still so alive? long ago. Yeah. I mean, you know, given that he got shot, I hear uh, in the first week. Um, Best non Grand Slam event. I am going to put the Italian Open out there for this one. Yes, I see one that one. <laughs> you, have to, you have to stop because it's now in your head when we get out. Um, Nadal Djokovic in the final, like a, a really great match for the final. He came back against City first to win. The women's final was the one where Svantec double bagel Pliskova, which is just an amazing thing. Yeah. Um, so I, I would nominate that one George what would you can you remind me of my nominations uh, the other, so the other three nominations will be Indian Wells Monte Carlo and the Paris Masters I mean Monte Carlo I put in mainly because of Dan Evans bizarre <laughs> win over Djokovic yeah. just that really stuck yeah. out for me as a result where I was like what that was yeah. crazy Indian Wells I thought was a really good tournament though and probably pinched it for me that the final as we mentioned before with Azarenka and Badoza was brilliant and Cam Norrie's first Masters title I thought that mm. was a Pretty good tournament as well. Also, Radicana Fever just falling flat on its face. Yeah. yeah. Just pretty memorable from all those 
perspectives. Calvin, um, which of your futures tournaments this year would you pick? Uh, <laughs> yeah, Skippy. That was last year. <laughs> Unfortunately, that was last year. Um, the tournaments I've been at, um, I, well, I mean, Luke, I coached one in New York, but I wasn't there. So, uh, <laughs> standard. Um, Go through some of his other wins. I mean, you were there for some of them, presumably. Yeah, some of the doubles one. Those were actually probably the best one was um, the. There was a really good one in Germany. The yeah. one that I think I put some pictures up was in the middle of the forest. Yeah. Um, that was a really, really good week. Um, there was a lot of people watching, which you don't really get um, at Futures. But you do in Germany and France, to be yeah. fair. And there was probably about 100 people a day there. And um, it was yeah, just really, really good vibe there. Mm. Um, let's move on to the final disappointments. It seems wrong to end with a disappointment, but most of our relationships do. Um, the biggest disappointment in the ATP... Uh, pretty straightforward nominations here. Uh, well, I'll, I'll, I'll read you George's nominations. Evans, Shapovalov, Tsitsipas, Team. I think it's harsh to put Team in there because I don't think he's been fit really at any point this year. That was put in the um, <coughs> context that I predicted him to be world number one this year. So <laughs> for me, he was incredibly disappointed. Disappointed. <laughs> For me, it's Shapovalov. Um, and I think Calvin probably agree with me. Like, as you know, being left-handed in tennis is cheating. Like, you have a significantly unfair advantage, and he's obviously clearly extremely talented. Um, and his career high is still ten, uh, which it was last year, and he's not got back to that. Um, First slam semi. Have you seen his run at that semi? He dropped two sets to Philip Kohlschreiber. <laughs> he got a walkover against Pablo Andujar. He beat Andy Murray with yeah, one Wimbledon leg. Champion. Um, yeah. And then he beat Bautista Agut and then dropped two sets to Hatchinov. Okay, he won that match and it was a quarterfinal, so there was pressure there. I think that was on number one court, to be fair, if that. Um, so, yes, he got to the semi, but when you actually look at it, it wasn't that impressive. And he got absolutely bullied by Novak. Yeah. Like, and okay, that can happen to the best of them, but. I, I'm just not giving that achievement any credit. Exactly. You probably even remember the Masters that he didn't win. <coughs> I, I think it, it's again. I feel like I'm again always picking on these two. The two Canadian lads. <laughs> they they really should be competing for slams. Yeah. And and you, you know you can come back and say yeah they both had a semi but again they both got like in different ways both got bullied because because Berrettini bullied um, physically bullied bullied um, Felix Auger in that mm. semi final. Um, but yeah, they're, they're, those two for me, and a little bit disappointed in Sinner as well. To be yeah. honest, and that's partly, I guess, to do with expectations, isn't it? Yeah. But, um, yeah. I hope Jamie Delgado does a great job with Dennis Shapovalov because yeah. there's a huge opportunity there. Yeah. But massively disappointing for me. Um, WTA disappointments. I mean, given the randomness of the WTA, there's a lot. There's going to be a lot here, and also it's quite hard to have any expectations, so there might be not that much. Um, Halep, Williams, Kennan, Andreescu. I've left out Naomi Osaka because I also was disappointed that she didn't win everything this year. But it also seems unfair to be like, well, it's kind of the same as Serena, isn't it? Like, yes, it's disappointing, but when your body lets you down, your body lets you down. For me, the, the disappointment in WTA is again, it's it's none of the players. It's that we still it's haven't all had, of the players. It's, it's <laughs> that we still haven't had that tournament where they all come to the party, or, or most of them come to the party, and we have like a great quarters, semis, and final lineup. Like, but it seems that that they all like are in agreement that that seven of the best eight players in the world will just fall to pieces at each slam, or not turn um, up at all. Yeah. So that that's my disappointment. That there's this real generation of elite level players. And they never seem to be playing well at the same two weeks. Um, I'm going to go for Andrescu picking one player um, because I, I'm now not convinced she's going to bounce back and win another Grand Slam. And I was very sure at the start of the year she yeah, would. Yeah, I agree with that. I'd agree with that. She, um, she hasn't looked anything like... Um, she, hasn't, it's not, she hasn't looked anything like being the quality she was when she yeah. won the US, but... She doesn't look to be particularly interested in getting back there either. Mm. Um, Taking the month off now, yeah. skipping the Australian Open yeah. and stuff. For no you know, sort just of real to, reason, is it? Again, you know, I'm always conscious of framing the mental argument in terms of like wanting mental rest, but I don't really understand the decision not to take that mental rest after the US Open. Well, so she hasn't really framed it as a mental health thing per se. No, like I think you've got to read between the lines. Yeah, yeah, time to absorb. It 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 was an odd thing, wasn't it? Like, and that yeah, 
I hope she's go not going because she's not vaccinated. I hope that's not the reason. I, I initially I thought maybe it was, but now I think like having having watched a few of her matches this year and as as spent a bit of time around her at, at, at Wimbledon and on the on the coach to the the grounds every day and that kind of thing, and she didn't strike me as somebody who was really seriously wanted to be a tennis player uh, in, in and around there and. You know, just little things that you pick up on. Um, so, I'd, yeah, I'd be surprised if she wins another one. Because, I mean, and that, you know, without when you get dragged into a long conversation about it, that's something that happens, isn't it? When you yeah. win a Grand Slam really young, look, you go, oh, I've achieved what I wanted to achieve. Yeah. Eh, kind of over this now. And sometimes you can win things because sometimes players win things on their talent alone. And that they play so well and, and that takes them to it. And then the next level, the Djokovic level, is when you can win when you're playing six out of ten tennis and that kind of thing. And I'm not sure that she's kind of one of those players who can turn up and play six out of ten and, and nudge out wins seven, six in the third like Djokovic can. Um, be two sets to love down twice in a slam and that kind of thing. And I think that's a great shame because actually I thought her mentality was pretty good when she won the US Open the way she'd kind of come through that year she was okay she had a few injuries but <clears throat> she was toughing out a lot of good matches at both 1000 and slam level mm. and I guess now to not think she has the grit the quality didn't seem to me to be there in matches I went to watch this year Yeah, and she was a player who had kind of every shot and every yeah, weapon yeah. capable yeah so kind of to come to the conclusion now where I'm not sure she'd win another one, not purely down to fitness reasons, is quite a big disappointment from where I held yeah, her at the yeah. start of the year. Mm. Yeah. Well, we can only now wait for the Love Tennis listeners to decide who, um, well, whether we're right or wrong, usually wrong. Um, but please do follow us on Twitter if you want to take part in those awards. We'll put something up. By the time you hear this podcast, there will be some tweets up and some polls. Um, at Love Tennis Pod, as I say. Do leave us a rating or a review wherever you are. Um, and please stay safe as always. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.